The humid, cobbled streets of New Orleans' French Quarter have their fair share of shadowy stories, but none are as notorious as that of Michaela Almanester, the beautiful Baroness de Bontalba. This blue blood's life was filled with decadent balls, palatial estates, and one infamous crime. It doesn't get more Southern Gothic than this. Hello and welcome to Yesterday's News, a podcast brought to you by Factnate.com. I'm Dancy. And I'm Veronica. And this season of the show is all about historical true crime. We are exploring history's dark side through courtroom dramas, executions, disappearances, mysterious deaths, and much, much more. This week, we're talking about Michaela Almanester, the cursed Baroness of New Orleans. Let's dive in. This is such a wild story. I'm so glad we're doing this episode. Oh, I love it. Okay, so this is a poor little rich girl story, so prepare yourself for this. In her early life, um, Michaela Almanester entered the world with a silver spoon firmly in mouth. Her family was very, very rich. She was born in 1795 to Don Andres Almanester, a Spanish nobleman, and his wife Louise, a French Creole, who was, you know, naturally half her husband's age. <laughs> of course. Yeah, this was not a love match. This was a strategic match. These were two high-powered historical hotties who wanted to consolidate their hots and their money. So that's what they did. They did not live in Europe. They actually lived in New Orleans, which was like the new hot destination for European aristocrats looking to gentrify Mm -hmm. in the States. And their money, I mean, that was great because New Orleans now has beautiful architecture, but you know. At what cost? At what cost? (laughs) Well, I'm trying to buy a house. It's so hard, guys. Anyway, (laughs) this was not a happy family. So Michaela's father had a wife before Louise, but that wife died in childhood along with the baby. Then Louise gave birth to another daughter, which gave Michaela a sister. But then, you know, uh, take backsies. The girl died at four years old. People thought this family was cursed, and you can kind of see why. But it's also like the 1790s, and you just didn't live for that long. But, you know, I, I do like the spooky appeal of a curse. And when you think about what ends up happening to Michaela, mm. it's easy to kind of retcon a curse onto the whole family. Yeah, her life bad, guys. In 1798, Michaela's dad dies, and this means that his fortune goes to Louise and Michaela, so Michaela and her mom. For Michaela, who is still a child, you know, this just means that she gets some nice dresses and the best education that money can buy. And, you know, grief and trauma. Fun things for a little girl. For her mom, this means... I went through a George Michael phase uh, about a year ago. He has a really good duet with Whitney Houston. Everyone should look it up. I do love Wham! On principle. Have you seen Last Christmas with Amelia Clark and Henry Golding? I hear it's batshit insane. <laughs> I haven't, but I got it spoiled for me, and I was like, wait, wait what? Oh, hmm? I got spoiled, too, and that made me want to watch it more. Yes, I feel like this Christmas, I've got it. I've got to catch it. This Christmas, we're watching Last Christmas with Jug of Chardonnay firmly in hand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back on topic. So Louise gets her George Michael Q freedom. She pulls a Real Housewives of New Orleans move, and she marries another man who is hunky and seven years younger than her. Scandalous. New Orleans went batshit on her for marrying this younger man. I think like New Orleans at the time, especially because it was all these sort of aristocrats coming in, they were really desperate to prove something, to prove that they (laughs) had propriety and had class. And like, they're kind of, um, what's the word, social policing? 
Oh, yeah. It's next level. Everyone is watching everybody else to make one misstep. And if they do, well, I mean, keep listening because what happens to Louise is insane. Yeah. New Orleans was catty. The public were so mad about Louise's cougar move that they rioted for three days. (laughs) They rioted against this woman having a hunky younger husband. They were so upset about it. They're just jealous, Louise. They're just jealous. They really went for it. Like, they made effigies of Louise. They made effigies of her new husband. Oh, my God. (laughs) My favorite is that they made an effigy of her dead husband in his coffin, (laughs) I guess, to show him, like, turning in his grave over, like, no, don't get some. Some housewife had some extra paper mache that day. Yeah, we have an artist who never made it mainstream (laughs) leading this public riot. (laughs) And the Almanestra drama was far from over. In 1811, Michaela is now 15 years old, and she is ready for a bad girl phase of her own. She pulls out a classic rom-com move where she falls in love with a penniless man (gasps) from the wrong side of the track. (gasps) She's a rich girl. He's just a poor boy. Do you think this will go well in the catty world of New Orleans? (laughs) No, no. And in fact, it's not even the citizens of New Orleans who ruin Michaela's dreams. It's it's her own mother. One day, her mother gets contacted by Michaela's 20-year-old cousin, Celestin de Pontalba. Um, He comes out of the woodwork all the way from France and uh, proposes a business merger to Louise. He marries her daughter, and uh, Michaela will get all the kind of prestige of the de Pontalba name, which was not insignificant at the time. Okay, here's my question. Michaela's already a Pontalba. You know, like, why does she need the prestige of the name? She already has it. He's her cousin. They have the same name. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, but they were like, you know, they're like cadet branches no, and I stuff know, like that. I know. They were like the fancy yeah. noble branch of the family. And hers is like the nouveau riche who moved to America. I get it. I, I just want to point out how dumb this is. You're right. I mean, like, let's just listen to the words that came out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> who gives a shit? <laughs> except, except, I guess, Louise did because she was like, yeah. Okay, that sounds good. She betrothes Michaela to Celestin. Bye-bye, penniless man. We don't even know your name because you went nowhere. So again, the Pontalbas were a prestigious name. However, what was in it for Celestin was Michaela's money. They didn't necessarily have that much cash flow going on. And he wanted Michaela's money. Mm -hmm. Land rich, cash poor. So they get married in October 1811. It's like a huge fancy ceremony. It's like the talk of the town. Anyone who's anyone goes there. And once they get married, even though Louise kind of carted her daughter off to marry her own cousin, she's still thinking about Michaela and thinking about how best to set her up for the future. And she puts protections on her money in the marriage contract. Thank you, mom. Yeah. So she's like, okay, fine. You're marrying my daughter for her money, but you can't have all of it. This would backfire so badly. Good try, Louise, but bad idea. Now, the beginning of Michaela's married life is pretty weird. She lives in an enormous chateau in France. Uh, It literally has a moat. It's so big that she kind of has her own theater and she puts on stage plays. I love that rich people hobbies are poor people's actual job, but continue. Poor people's actual, like, dream jobs. <laughs> so sad. Now, I say she kind of had free reign because she also finds out that her in-laws are 
batshit insane. Her father-in-law, a one Baron Joseph de Pontalba, is a manipulative bastard who basically is pulling all the strings behind uh, all the family members, including Michaela's new husband, Celestin. And Baron Joseph is not happy when he finds out that Michaela's money is tied up in her marriage contract. And this is where we get that backfiring going on. Joseph makes Michaela sign over power of attorney to Celestin, to her husband. But this basically just means she's signing over power of attorney to Baron Joseph because he's the one who runs the family. Yeah, like Celestin is like a yeah. weakly, tiny, sad boy. <laughs> Honey, the word is cuck. He's a technical <laughs> cuck. <laughs> so Celestin is like this shrimpy son and, you know, it's the Baron who's running the show. Yeah. And it's at this point in Michaela's story that I'm like, oh, girl, no. Like, your mom worked so hard to tie up that money and you just undid Ugh. it all. But, I mean, I guess she's just trying to make things less awkward with her family I'm not, for all the reasons that people don't protect their boundaries. Also, like, see the moat. I'm assuming she doesn't have neighbors nearby. Like, these are the only people she sees. Yeah. I just see the social pressure to get along with them. Yeah. And I do think if she knew how bad things would get, she would have thought twice about this. Because as soon as she gives Celeste her money, this guy basically abandons her and their young children. <laughs> he ends up giving her, so nicely, he ends up giving her a $600 a month allowance of her own money. Let's just remember here. Oh, God. At this point, Michaela is up a creek and she knows it. So she tries to get back power and has this brief sort of period in her life where she goes back to America. She goes stateside. And this is sort of in a ploy to own more land because that will increase her rights in some way. More money, more rights. True now, true then. Yeah, more money, more rights, more land, more rights. I mean, <laughs> this is familiar. And just in case you're not super clear on how big of a deal Michaela is and the Almanesters are, when she went back to America, President Andrew Jackson sent a private carriage to pick her up and bring her to the White House for a tete-a-tete. Damn, not too shabby. So she's trying to shore up land, trying to shore up power. Again, I hate to say it, this totally backfires. When she gets back to Europe, her family, her in-laws are like even more pissed at her. And they take it out on her in a very gruesome way. They start sequestering her in just one room of the house. She pretty much is a prisoner in her own home. More than that, they actually intentionally start trying to drive her insane. And they do this by banning any of the servants in the house from even looking at or speaking to her. And even guests that they had over were forbidden to treat her with like any kind of consideration, even though she was the lady of the house at this point. That is terrifying. That is like the plot of Crimson Peak. This is a real life gothic novel. It really is. It really, really is. Rich people really are monsters. That's what we're learning today, kids. <laughs> yeah, for the hundredth time. I'm going to bang that drum. <laughs> now, I guess you're probably thinking, like, why doesn't she GTFO? Like, why is she staying? Well, let me tell you, she does try to leave. She tries to file for separation, but divorce laws in France are mega harsh on women back then. And Celestin just always wins. And actually, more than that, like, she has to pay for his lawyer's fees every time she loses with, again, her own money that should be hers. Thanks, I hate it. In Defiance, Michaela starts 
when she's at home with her in-laws, starts to insist on sitting at the head of the table during their dinners. She's trying to dare anyone to tell her to move because if they did, if they told her, no, this would actually prove that she wasn't the female head of the household. And for whatever reason, in French laws at the time, it would actually give her more grounds for separation. So she is trying tooth and nail to keep her sanity and to like get the hell out of the situation. But she's stuck. Then it takes a very dark turn. Oh, yeah. Big time. Also, just before we transition, I just want to note that it is bad for her to sit not at the head of the table. But locking her up is fully fine, according to divorce law. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Great. (laughs) So all of this goes on for four excruciating years. Four years. You know, most of the world has been in some form of like lockdown for the past year. It has not been fun. No. Can you imagine that times four and the only people you can talk to are your in-laws who are actively trying to steal your money and drive you insane? Yeah. Like, you always hear bad in-law stories. I remember there was a Dear Polly one where, like, the mother-in-law kept trying to feed her mushrooms that she was, like, deathly allergic to. (laughs) I'm laughing, but good Christ. Yeah. Can you imagine that, but four years of that and you're just, you can't leave their house? You're just in their house all the time? Oh. What we're saying is it's bad. It's so bad. And we're just zipping by that by being like, well, that happened for four years. But like, let's think about that. Four years. That's a lot of days. That's a lot of hours. Anyway, after these four years, everything hits a wild climax. So prepare yourselves. Hold on to your butts. One night, Baron Joseph hits some kind of breaking point with the whole daughter-in-law situation. He walks into Michaela's bedroom. He's carrying two dueling pistols, Mm. a very stylish touch. He raises them to fire. He's going to kill Michaela. And Michaela finally breaks. You know, she's facing death, staring down the barrel of not one, but two guns. She says, don't. I'll give you everything. And then the Baron looks Michaela right in the eyes and says, quote, no, you're going to die. Oh, my God, this guy terrifying and then he fires he fires not once not twice not three times but four times and he hits Michaela square in the chest with one of the bullets tearing through the hand that she instinctively held up to defend herself oh my god but Michaela is a fighter somehow this woman manages to GTFO out of the bedroom. She runs into the drawing room where she collapses and starts bleeding out because she's been shot Mm -hmm. in the chest four Mm -hmm. times. And the carnage isn't over. Later that evening, the Baron went into his study with the pistols he used to attack Michaela. And this time, he turned them on himself. He completes suicide. And you have to think, you have to think he he thought she's dead by this point. Like she's she's a goner. I mean, who wouldn't get that? Four shots to the chest. So the Baron dies. Michaela's body is bleeding out in the drawing room. And the beautiful mansion is now a double crime scene. (sighs) So atmospheric. Give me a painting. I'm ready. Yeah, me too. And here's the reason why I can fetishize this. It's because, miraculously, Michaela does not die. She survives! Oh my god, this woman! She survives getting shot in the chest by her bullshit father-in-law. I love it. Iconic. 
slow clap it out for this lady. Uh, of course, you know, she was, like, horribly injured. Uh, she lost two fingers, her left breast was mutilated, one of her lungs was so janked up that she could barely climb a flight of stairs. So she's got a lot of work to do on this recovery. Are her in-laws there for her? You bet they weren't! <laughs> her mother-in-law refuses to speak to her. She's still on that ignore Michaela train. Honestly, I'd be like, thanks, great, I don't need you. <laughs> yeah, who wants to talk to her? Yeah, no, maybe this is a blessing. Michaela's husband, Celestin, he actually helps her. But don't go feeling, you know, too excited about that yet. This is a low bar, Mm -hmm. as his father shot Michaela four times. Yeah. (laughs) Like, get your wife a glass of water. And also, guess what? The high society world of France sided with the Baron. Oh. Yeah, you know, we don't like Michaela. We're sad this guy died. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, we love that man. (laughs) He was so awesome. (laughs) He's our favorite man. (laughs) So victim blaming is strong in France right now. And when Michaela tries to get a divorce, because Jesus fucking Christ, now would be the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The judge is still like, no, you know... Your father-in-law trying to kill you. It's, I mean, your husband trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come come back, come now. back if that happens, you know. <laughs> Part two. And, oh, this poor girl. I really do feel like, yeah, her story just really makes it clear, like, how hard it was for a woman to get a divorce back then. Unreal. I'd be like, please let me commit adultery. Oh, my God, please. I'll, I'll commit all the adultery you want. Just, just divorce me. Just let me out. <laughs> you, so it's bad. It's bad that the judge is like, nah, I'm not convinced. But it might be a blessing in disguise. Because after the judge does this, Celestin, Celestin, eh, that guy, he reveals his true colors. So um, turns out Celestin is a petty little bitch. <laughs> Does it turn out that way or did we know it already? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, we can confirm. We fact-checked. We verified. He's a petty little bitch. <laughs> he gets printed copies of the court manuscripts from where the judge says, no, Michaela, you can't leave your crap husband. So Celestin highlights the parts that degrade oh. his injured oh wife. Oh, God. You know, like attempted murder victim. This little twerp. He's what my fiancé would call a puke. He's a puke. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so he, like, highlights these parts, these mean parts, and he hands them out to people on the street. Oh, my God. Oh, what a loser. But, 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 plot twist to the plot twist, Michaela is happy that Celestine does oh. this because she knows that this violates one of the requirements of a French marriage at the time, which is protect your wife. And again, like, what the fuck is this law? Exactly. Like, all these, all these, like, loopholes and and strange red tape. It's like, you, you may only divorce your wife on the second Tuesday of the eighth month if you're wearing blue. <laughs> Under the blood moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, protect your wife. Okay, so don't hand out mean papers about her. But, you know, your dad shoots her and you lock her in a room and pretend she's dead. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. That's fine. All good. No, not, no problem. Continue. Carry on. But nonetheless, this action is oddly the nail in the coffin for Celestin. I know. It's kind of like a deflated balloon. It's like a limp ending. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'll take it. Get out, girl. Get out whatever way you can. So um, Michaela takes this to the courts and successfully uses it to prove 
that she can separate from her husband. She cannot divorce him, but she can leave him. She doesn't have to live with yes, him. This is important. They do never divorce, but she finally gets a legal separation from him because he's an idiot. And like, we'll take it. We'll yeah. take it. And here we go. Here is what Michaela said, reflecting on everything she went through. This is a haunting quote. I can now say that I have gone through my purgatory while still on this earth. I mean, she's right. She's right. And if anything, she's understating what has happened. You sure that's not straight up hell? Yeah. Just terrifying. Anyway, but yeah, she's free of him now. Thank fuck. And she's free of him and she is ready to take on the world. She actually has another homecoming. She goes back to New Orleans uh, in 1848, takes her whole family with her her children, and just becomes, you know, a baller. She's a (laughs) woman about town, and she's a really, really shrewd businesswoman. One of my really favorite anecdotes from this time in her life is there's this really famous Swedish singer named Jenny Lind, and Michaela lets Jenny Lind stay in her apartments uh, for the time that she's in New Orleans. And then after Lind leaves, Michaela sells the furniture that was in the apartment as like celebrity memorabilia. So smart. So, so smart. She also, and this should be no surprise, went through her own children's marriage contracts with a fine tooth comb, making sure that, you know, they got the best of the legal system. And these were like ironclad things so that no one could abuse the system and take advantage of them as she was taken advantage of. She also, just in case you need another reason to really love her, she revives the French Quarter in New Orleans. Um, someone called her a, quote, lay genius in architecture. Mm. So she really helped. She built a couple of buildings and also helped refurbish a lot of the other ones. Now, I've saved the best for last because in Michaela's later years, she gets a delicious and ironic revenge that just is kind of like the pat of butter on top of on top of this lovely, <laughs> lovely, like, loaf of bread. It's the cherry on top of the sundae. But I like your pat of butter on top of bread. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that. You know, my mom has butter sandwiches. Ooh. Like, she, well, before, <laughs> LOL, my mom also had really high cholesterol. <laughs> shocker. But she used to slice the butter so thick that we were like, is that cheese? <laughs> She'd be like, no, this is my butter sandwich. <laughs> The doctor was like, um, you need to stop That's that, That's not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on to the revenge. <laughs> this nice buttery, buttery revenge. <laughs> See, um, during this time, Celestin, they're, they're still married, uh, de facto married, and Celestin has been going senile while she's been over in New Orleans. So, Michaela, with a... Um, quality and quantity of forgiveness I don't think I could possess, goes back (laughs) to France to nurse him. But she also, in doing this, takes control of his whole household. So she's the woman in charge while he's just like a doddering old man, which I think is perfect because it's such a reversal of what was happening when she was a prisoner in his home. I love it. Hearing you say that, I feel like 10 years younger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. My grays, gone. My skin, <laughs> cleared. I love it. It's perfect. Now, I do have some bad news, which is that no. this this whole incredible 
Justice Karma story ends on a bit of a bum note because Michaela died just a few years before Celestin, and the two of them are buried together. Eh, I don't like it. Yeah, I don't make history, guys. I just tell it. But yeah, if you go to her grave, this puke is right beside her. <laughs> That's not how I would have liked it to end. It is what it is. Take to fanfiction.net and let's rewrite that ending. Or, you know, go go grave digging. Go grave robbing. <laughs> oh, my God. Beautiful. Beautiful to me. Thanks for listening to Yesterday's News, a podcast brought to you by Factinate.com. If you want to see my dumb history memes on social media, you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our account is at Yesterday's News Podcast. We're also on Twitter at FactinatePod. And we have an email. You can email us at, at yesterdaysnews at factinate.com. We love hearing from you. We also love reading your positive reviews on the mm-hmm. Apple Store or iTunes, whatever it is called. So, you know, hit us up there. That's my favorite novels, those uh, iTunes reviews. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're our favorite book. Um, <laughs> and if you want to learn more about Michaela, we do have an article on her and it will be linked in the show notes. So we'll be back next week with another historical crime to dissect. But until then, don't let the bland textbooks fool you. History was the original true crime documentary. 